Bungie announced today that it's allowing all its employees to remain remote forever. And if it can create video games remotely, whatever your company is telling you to convince you to return to the office full-time is a big pile of BS. Good morning, good Wednesday morning to you. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for April 13th, 2022. If you prefer to consume the show the way it's intended, in a podcast feed so you can listen on your phone as you get ready for work or your commute, head to patreon.com sifted and drop us a pledge. It's free on YouTube for everyone else. You can find our flagship show, Game Face, by searching your favorite podcast service. Please give the show a review if you can. So is your company demanding that you return to the office for work soon? Is it giving you all kinds of lame excuses why? I've been dealing with this personally because my wife works for a major corporation, and she has been working from home for the last two years, doing her job quite well. In fact, just as well as she did at the office, maybe even a little bit better. Although I would argue she's spending a lot more time at work now than she did before because it's so easy to slip back into work mode when your desk is just a couple feet away. I have noticed her working at all times of day and night, basically giving her company way more hours than she used to give them when she used to drive to the office to perform her job. I'm sure a lot of you through this pandemic, are feeling the same way. You have been forced to go into this office for however many years you've been working or however long you've been working at your current company, and now you've been doing your job from home for two years, and your work hasn't fallen off. In fact, in a lot of cases, your work may have actually improved. And one thing I know for sure, your life has improved. Just chopping out your commute every day gives you so much more time back into your life that you could actually conceivably spend doing your job more or better. Or you could spend it on yourself so you finally have a decent work-life balance. This is one thing I am really proud of the video game industry for because conceivably, if there's any job in the world that would require people to work together in person, it would be creating a video game. If not for the collaborative part of creating a video game, if only for the idea that you need certain facilities and equipment to do the job. Yet, one of the most challenging industries to create a product remotely has figured it out. Not only that, Bungie, a studio that makes, honestly, let's be honest, some of the most complicated games to make, games as a service, ongoing games that never die, it has figured it out. Today, the studio behind the Destiny franchise announced that it's going digital first and that most current and future roles will be fully remote across a range of states. Bungie employees living in Washington, California, Oregon, Illinois, Florida, and North Carolina can kiss their commutes goodbye for good. If Bungie can do it, any company can do it. Think about your job. What parts of your job is it really required that you be there in person? Meetings happen on Zoom. Is there an advantage to meeting face-to-face? -face? I would argue in some cases it's a disadvantage. When people are at home and more comfortable and in their comfort zone, do you think they're going to perform better or worse in meetings? Do you think they're going to be 
more or less likely to be abrasive? Do you think they're going to be more or less likely to come up with unique solutions to complex problems? The problem here is, one, I think for the older folks who want everyone to come back to work, it's normative behavior. And certain people, when they get to a certain age, they get very set in their ways and they feel like that whatever way that they've learned and that they're used to is the only way things can work. These last two years have driven these people crazy. I've seen it in my wife's business where, admittedly, a lot of the people in power are older and they're trying to get people to come back to work at any cost. In fact, I just heard tale of them tracking people's ID badges to see which employees have actually returned to work and which ones are continuing to work from home. Not only that, they're making a tally of those people. And if certain supervisors have large groups of employees that are unwilling to return to the office, pressure is going to be placed on those managers to get their reports to come in to work. Some may say this is a generational thing and that the gaming industry is generally made up of youngish people. Right now, Generation X is pretty much senior management across almost all industries. And it is a little younger in some industries. Management, upper management does skew a little older. And those tend to be the industries that are begging people to come back to work. Another angle to this is that your company may have signed a gigantic lease. Imagine if you signed a very expensive lease in the fourth quarter of 2019. And then here comes COVID in March of 2020, just a couple months later. And you have this seven, 10-year lease on this facility that you now may not need. It's a huge write-off. But that doesn't mean that it's best for your company to make use of that space. Even if you got burned on your office space, isn't it still better for your employees to be happy? Do you not believe that your employees being happy will result in your employees doing better work? How can you argue against it? So I'm not calling for you to go out on strike or anything, but if at your place of business, there are ongoing discussions between management and you and your colleagues about returning to work in person, and there are discussions to be had where they may be willing to listen to your point of view before pulling the trigger and forcing people to return to work, maybe you can point out one of your favorite hobbies and how something so complex like creating a video game and remember all the departments that have to work on a game you have writers you have programmers you have artists you have people who handle the audio you have people who build the engine all these people have figured it out tell your supervisor hey the people who make destiny or whatever their favorite game is have figured it out we can figure it out too and now for a couple more stories from the top of your SIFs. Today it was announced that the Ghost of Tsushima movie finally has its writer. Takashi Dosher is tackling the project he previously wrote and directed only, and also worked on an ESPN documentary called A Fighting Chance. Now, the movie is still in early development, but it's already been confirmed that it will follow the adventures of game protagonist Jin Sakai. 
The Callisto Protocol is scheduled to launch this year, but we haven't seen it since its 2020 debut. Well, that is about to change. It's been billed as an original narrative experience in the PUBG universe. Now, that sounds crazy because there is no narrative in PUBG whatsoever. But more specifically, it's a story-driven survival horror game set in a prison colony on Jupiter's moon Callisto in the year 2320. Studio head and Dead Space creator Glenn Schofield stated, quote, This is my favorite time when making a game. The design starts coming together. Love seeing all the hard work the team is doing in the mocap studio to bring our characters to life. Thanks to everyone waiting as we finish and polish the game, we'll have more to share soon. The game was originally scheduled to come out this year, but we're really starting to have our doubts. PlayStation VR 2 has been delayed to 2023. Well, <laughs> even though Sony never actually shared a release date for it at all, as part of an analysis of OLED sales, analyst Ross Young says both Sony and Apple's upcoming headsets have been pushed to next year. Apple's headset hasn't even been announced yet, and it's already been delayed? Come on. Considering Sony still can't satisfy demand for its PS5 console, what's the point, really, of releasing a new VR product that can't run without it? It makes no sense. We wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't release until 2024, when people can walk into a store and pick up a PS5. Eden Games has been acquired by blockchain company Anamoka Brands. It's more recently known for the Gear.Club racing franchise, but seasoned players will remember it as the key studio behind the Infogrom's racing stable, including groundbreaking games like Test Drive Unlimited. Eden will now work on new blockchain-based racing games and contribute to games based on Animoca's crypto token. Yay! The new games will also be part of Animoca's NFT Race Pass program, which is a make-good for players who bought NFT cars in Animoca's F1 Delta game, which was shut down last month after it lost the F1 license. If you're struggling to understand anything about this story, you're not alone. It's a shame that such a great racing studio has been swallowed up by the crypto and NFT bros. Remember Bug Snacks? It was that weird Pokemon Snap-like game that launched with the PlayStation 5. It's finally coming to new platforms alongside a brand new expansion. Bug Snacks and the Isle of Big Snacks launches on Xbox, including Game Pass, Switch, and Steam on April 28th. It's free DLC, and of course, it's also coming to PlayStation on the same day. The expansion includes a brand new jungle-themed island to explore with new quests and so much more. It's a proper single-player expansion, and it launches in two weeks. According to a job listing on its Japanese website, Bandai Namco is working on a remaster of a classic Nintendo action game. The publisher is seeking planners and visual artists for the project to handle HD remastering of 3D backgrounds. Bandai Namco has worked with Nintendo on countless projects in the past, including Pokémon Tournament, the dreadful Star Fox Assault for GameCube, Donkey Konga, and many more. More recently, it was assigned to work on Metroid Prime 4, but Nintendo was unhappy with its progress, killed the project, and handed it to Retro Studios. So, my guess is that Nintendo has farmed out a remake of Metroid Prime to one of its favorite partners. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight.
Welcome to today's boss fight, where I tackle random topics that may or may not be related to video games. Today it was announced that longtime Activision studio Vicarious Visions has been renamed to Blizzard Albany. You may not recognize this studio, but you've undoubtedly played many of its games. It most recently created the remake of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, and was pivotal in the Skylanders Toys to Life franchise. But before that, it developed the Marvel Ultimate Alliance games, the early Spider-Man games, which were great, several Guitar Hero games, Crash Bandicoot and Sane Trilogy, and so much more. The studio was founded in 1996, and it's rare for a developer to undergo a name change after 26 years of existence. Now it appears it will be a support studio for Blizzard instead of working on the Activision side of things. It's the end of an era, to be sure, but the gaming industry's history is littered with great studios that were shuttered or changed in some significant way. Remember the SOCOM games? They were helmed by a studio called Zipper Interactive, and they thrived in the PS2 era, but SOCOM 4 for PS3 was a huge flop, and the studio worked on a PlayStation Vita shooter called Unit 13 before Sony shut them down for good in 2013. Free Radical was comprised of several former Rare developers who left the studio after its GoldenEye slash Perfect Dark heyday. It created the Time Splitters franchise, which a lot of people really liked, and then moved on to work on another shooter called Haze during the PS3, Xbox 360 era, which was admittedly awful. Crytek took the studio over and rebranded it as Crytek UK before it was closed altogether in 2014. Visceral Games was originally known as EA Redwood Shores until its breakout game Dead Space was released. Studio head Glenn Schofield left shortly after to form Sledgehammer Games, and Visceral kept chugging along until around 2017 when it was closed by EA after working on a Star Wars game with Amy Hennig, codenamed Project Ragtag. Telltale Games' closing was a massive surprise after its string of successful narrative-driven games like The Walking Dead. It was eventually uncovered that working there was a nightmare, and ultimately its closing in 2018 then made a little more sense. It's since been revived with new people to finish the final season of The Walking Dead and work on Wolf Among Us 2, but it's not the same. Neversoft made huge waves with its third game, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. The annual extreme sports franchise was on a tear of hits for almost a decade straight, before finally falling on hard times with Tony Hawk's Proving Ground. After the franchise slowly deteriorated, they started making Guitar Hero games, and that was the beginning of the end. As the plastic guitar craze died, so did Neversoft. Then there's Pandemic Studios. It had an illustrious history as the creators of the Star Wars Battlefront franchise. It also created Destroy All Humans. It was purchased by EA in 2008, and in 2009, during the financial crisis, EA laid off 1,000 employees, and Pandemic seemed to suffer some of the biggest cuts. After its game Saboteur tanked, it was an easy decision during a time of crisis. On to more EA, Maxis was the studio helmed by Will Wright and was founded way back in 1987. Wright eventually left the studio in 2009 after the massive disappointment that was Spore. It languished on until 2015 when EA closed the studio for good. Are you starting to see a pattern here? While there's still a team called Maxis at EA, it now makes mobile games. Then there's Lionhead, Peter Molyneux's studio that was tasked with bringing his outrageous dreams to life. It created Black and White before moving on to the Fable franchise, where Molyneux overpromised and underdelivered, dooming the studio in the process. I could go on and on and on. I didn't even mention Westwood, which was another EA casualty. But the point here 
is that Vicarious Visions isn't the first great studio to be dissolved, rebranded, or closed altogether, and it most certainly won't be the last. And if moving over to support Blizzard allows the studio and its employees to keep on making games, then the move is probably for the best. But we'll still have our fond memories of the games it's created and the time we spent playing them. And this is how game studios live on forever. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listens to GMG. I'm Shane Satterfield. Follow me on Twitter at Dinfire. And while you're there, follow Sifted at Sifted Games. And while you're on the interwebs, head to patreon.com sifted and drop us a pledge. We'll be back with another episode tomorrow. But until then, make sure you seize today because there will never be another. <laughs>